You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. I'm so thankful. Today, we have an incredible guest. Uh, He is from right here in my home part of the world of northern Indiana, doing really big and great things and is part of a just great business that you'll hear about today. But more importantly than that, and, and the reason that I wanted to have Jason Lippert on today is because he cares a lot more about helping transform people's lives than he ultimately does in growing an incredible company. Particularly, the 15,000 team members are part of their company. And the company is Lippert. Lippert is on the New York Stock Exchange at LCII. So we're so thankful to have Jason here today, and I'm going to dive right into it, Jason. Why don't you kick us off with what is it that you do at Lippert? Well, you know, the company's responsible for manufacturing components globally, largely for, you know, the recreational vehicle industry. That's our primary business. Marine is a, you know, a close second. And then the aftermarkets for those two industries. So if you look at the RV component market, the uh, marine component market, and the aftermarket for those two markets, that's a, a sizable chunk of our total volume. And a lot of our listeners may not know this. You know, a lot of people, I think they tend to think Indiana has race cars and corn, and we used to have basketball. And uh, <laughs> But in northern Indiana, we actually have two really, really booming industries. One of those is the recreational vehicle industry. And then also the orthopedic industry. And so that may be little known to some of you outside of the state, but, you know, Jason's really sitting here in the RV corridor of the entire world. Yeah. 90% of the industry's vehicles get manufactured, you know, right here within a, you know, 30 mile radius of where I sit. So there's a lot of good to that. The, The suppliers and the OEMs and everybody involved in the industry, the industry association, we can all collaborate better, I think, than most other industries because everything is right here. So if we want to get together, have a meeting, share ideas and and collaborate and figure out what we can do differently or better, address hot topics or whatever the issues might be, we can do that in literally hours and get face-to-face. It doesn't need to be, um, but it's hard to get face-to-face and talk to your competitors and talk to your supplier peers and talk to your OEMs if you don't live in the same community and and have the relationships. So I think that's one of the real special things about our industry is that there's a lot of close-knit relationships woven throughout the industry fabric of of players, which allows us to, I think, get more done than a lot of other industries in a lot faster time period. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jason, tell us, how did Lippert get started? Well, that goes back 65 years or so. My grandpa came back from World War II. He was in the Navy and he went right to work for a company called Redmond Homes that manufactured housing in central Michigan, where I grew up. And you know, at the time, a lot of the manufactured housing manufacturers were right there in that community. And he decided after a period of time, long and short, that he wanted to build roofs, metal roofs for the manufactured housing guys and found he didn't have any, he didn't grow up with any money. And he found somebody that was willing to be his business partner. And he'd do a a lot of the operations work and didn't know anything about business, but got the business off the ground, sold metal roofs for a while, and then got into chassis steel components. And my dad took over a handful of years later. And my dad got a, got the business into the full complete, completed chassis. 
We just had some OEM customers that said, hey, look, we'd love to outsource the chassis to your business, not just the component parts. So my dad took us through a period where we became a, a pretty significant player on the chassis side of the business for the mobile home. And then I came to the business in 94 and kind of helped thrust the company into the RV space. So that's kind of the original beginnings. That still goes back about 27 years from when we started in the RV business. But my grandpa was instrumental in starting the business. My dad, you know, got it on solid footing and got us, you know, into some really core products that have still that we're still building today. And now we're in all sorts of other businesses and more public and all that good stuff. Well, we're going to talk about all that today. And one of the things I do want to push into, Jason, is this aspect of multi-generational. You're third generation in the business. And one of the downfalls that we see for a lot of companies is the next generation coming in. And that usually happens when they're just kind of brought in on a silver platter and put right into leadership from day one. That is not at all what happened in your case. So how did you come into the business and what type of roles have you had along the way? Yeah, so just to start, I tell you that, look, I see that we deal with a lot of private businesses, multi-generational, you know, but it does tend to fail at the third generation often. And I attribute our success and the reason I'm successful to two things. One, my parents were phenomenal. They were fantastic and they didn't spoil me and they made me work for everything and they encouraged me along the way and they stayed together, which is important. So that's one piece. My dad made me get the business and weld when I came to work. So even though I was the first person in my family's history to go to college, he's like, hey, look, you're starting in the weld shop if you want to come to work here and learn the business from the ground up, get to know what it's like. To, we're a manufacturing business. 95% of the, our team members are on the front lines of our business, welding and assembling, and they're in the factory. So if you don't understand what that's like, it's really hard to run the business. So it was the best thing he ever did for me. And one of the reasons I'm successful is because I, I started there and welded for two years and ran plants after that. And Jason, not just welded for two years. They didn't give you the cozy day shift. No, no. First, it was a night shift. And, you know, I was going home and blowing weld soot and dirt out of my nose every night and putting wet towels over my eyes. And further, he made me live in a mobile home that had our products in it and all that good stuff. So he gave me the full experience of just kind of doing the things that I think all people starting a business should do is start from the bottom. And if you're going to be at the top, start at the bottom and see what it's like there. Because you start too high up, you never really understand what goes on and makes the business tick. So but I always, even after uh, starting in welding, even a decade later, as I was putting plants up, I'd spent a lot of time in the shop with the guys, helping them put jigs and racks together and build some of our prototype products and starting orders for our customers just so that they, A, knew that I'm in it with them, but B, they understand that the leadership understands what they're going through and what they're doing and can relate and all that good stuff. And it's really, really helpful for the, it's been really helpful for the business success, I think. For sure. And, you know, I think maybe part of your passion for people on the front lines is you spent time doing it mm -hmm. and you learned it. And, and I love that you've never forgotten that. I found myself actually doing some paperwork with a new team member yesterday. And it just took me back to 22 years ago, filling out my first mm -hmm. forms yeah. and just like, you know, I'll never forget how to do paperwork in a pristine manner because we couldn't get anything done if it wasn't in perfect order. Right. So right. that's great. 
we're definitely going to get into culture today because I know that's something that you are absolutely passionate about at Lippert. But before we do that, I'm hoping you can take us on a little bit of a journey for Lippert as not only as the third generation, have you not run the company into the ground, you and your team have actually grown the business just uh, gigantically over the past couple decades. And Jason, I think it'd be great if you could give our listeners a little glimpse into as you were coming into the business, you were actually hoping to take it in a new direction in a pretty significant way. So tell us about that. Yeah, so it didn't happen right away. But like I told you, I'd welded for a year and a half or so. And then I got a transfer to run a facility out in Pennsylvania. I'd started my career in Indiana and moved out to Pennsylvania, started running a facility out there. And I I just stumbled on RV manufacturers out there that happened to be in need of a chassis builder. So without sparing you all the details, I started working with a team and building some of our first traditional RV chassis out there. And then got a few customers that were out in the East Coast region. And then I was there for two years and I got transferred back to Indiana to run a manufactured housing facility. And when I did, I realized that I didn't grow up here, but realized really quickly that a significant amount of the country's RVs are built right in Elkhart County. And there happened to be a new manufacturer who's now number one in the country going up right next door to the plan I was assigned to run. So it's like, man, I just came from Pennsylvania and started building RV chassis out there. And these guys are new and don't know us from Adam, but they let us start building RV chassis for them. And we eventually turned it into a, a big business. But as that started to happen, we had all these capital requirements. And my dad, he just said, I'd like to grow and love your vision. His management team wasn't so on board with the vision because it was a lot of new things and they were all in a different place and didn't see what was going on. And I was only 24. So it was, uh, you know, look at my 24 year old asked for $10 million to build a couple of plants and say, Hey, trust me, I've got this. I don't know that I, I don't know how easy that trust would be. So he made a, a really astute decision and said, Hey, look, we'll kill two birds with one stone. I'll take care of my management team and I'll find a business, a bigger business that wants to take the risk on. And he did that. And he found a company that bought into our vision. And it's been a good decision for that company that bought us because we've taken it from a hundred million dollar business to four and a half billion over the last, you know, couple of decades. Me and my team have been here. So it's been a really good, really good run and a really great story. This is really what drove your dad to take the company public then. Oh yeah, for sure. He was at a crossroads of a team that was really comfortable building manufactured housing components and they were doing very well at it to, hey, look, we've got the owner's son in the business. He seems really passionate about this RV thing and there's been some early successes and it looks good, but man, it's going to require a lot of capital. So that drove the decision to say, hey, look, cash out of the business, give that risk to somebody else. And if it works out, fantastic. If it doesn't, he doesn't lose the family fortune on taking risk on a 24-year-old's idea. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, you know, listeners, this is one of the biggest challenges when you have an established leadership team and management team. A lot of the research points to developing the future of the business is always really hard. The quintessential example is Kodak, and they had digital photography at their fingertips. And the existing management team is sitting there saying, ah, oh, this is, you know, this is new fangled. Nobody's going to adopt this. And, you know, when was the last time any of us developed a role of film? 
You know, it's just not where we spend our time anymore. And, you know, Kodak had that right at their fingertips and turned it away. And, and we see this over and over and over in industry. It's always really hard. So that's always interesting for me, Jason, to know the decision behind somebody going public and that idea of shifting the risk transfer when you're heavy into R&D for the future mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. That's right. Well, since coming into the business, you worked on the welding side, brought the company into the RV market, had some incredible timing with that, being right next door to one of uh, you know the top up-and-coming RV manufacturers, and then in the neighborhood of all the other ones. And... As you mentioned, you know, the business has grown from $100 million to $4.5 billion. And take us through, you know, some of the, I guess, pain points along the way in that. You know, we've had 2008 in the mix. I know that was a especially challenging period for the RV industry. What was it like to help lead the business through that time period? In 2008? Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of our first biggest challenge. I mean... We had grown through a couple of tough periods before then, and we just grew through them because we had lots of business and market share to take. And even though there was some softening in the economy a couple of times before 08, we grew through it and didn't really didn't really notice it. But when 08 hit, we had we were starting to amass some pretty significant chunks of RV market share and a lot of different components, and we had made a lot of acquisitions, and we had to make some decisions to consolidate the business and which ultimately made the business more efficient. We made it through 08, 09. We were one of the few manufacturing companies that had their business cut by 60% or industry cut by 60%. You know, industry volume was cut by 60% and uh, we didn't lose money. We made some money coming out of it. We stayed healthy and you know, our balance sheet and performance has been solid since. But we learned a lot of lessons about how to cut back. That was really our first lesson in cutting back. And after that, we kind of developed a playbook and we've been maintaining it on, hey, look, what kinds of things are we going to do and maybe more importantly, not do when a crisis hits? We're faced with having to make tough decisions. So like everybody, I mean, you learn a lot through that. And fortunate, I've had a team that's stuck with me for the, uh, the larger part of the last 18 to 20 years. So people that are listening that are trying to put businesses together or grow their businesses, there's nothing more important that you can do than get the right people on the team and keep them for as long as you can. Because when you turn people over, they take a lot of valuable knowledge and relationships, both inside and outside the company with them. And um, you got to kind of start over. And I found it the speed of success and the speed of growth happens a lot faster when you keep that momentum together and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and spins faster and faster. A lot of people get frustrated and they don't take time to coach and lead people the right way. And they either move the people out or the people get frustrated and leave. And there's so many CEOs and owners of businesses out there that start and stop all the time. They, they make some progress and people leave and then they kind of go backwards. And over the course of 10 or 20 years, some of these people aren't any further than where they started because it's just always starting and stopping. And when you shut the momentum down in the business with people, it, it gets really hard to grow and you know, have a successful business. Yeah, absolutely. And Jason, this is a great segue. You have such a passion for people and for culture. It's contagious. That's really how I got to know you. I just, you know, followed so much of what you were putting out to the world for business culture and taking care of your people. 
you know, so I'd encourage any of our listeners out there, you know, go find Jason on LinkedIn, make sure you follow him. You're going to get just some incredible business wisdom as you do that. And we'll give you some other ways to also improve company culture as we get in here. But, you know, it, it didn't always come easy for Lippert, Jason. Uh, there was a day you kind of looked around, I think, and realized culture's not where you want it to be. We found that not long after the 08 and 09 financial crisis, we started growing again and we started moving up towards 4,000, 5,000 team members. And at the rate of turnover we were experiencing, we were just recognizing that our people didn't have, I mean, all they were doing, all of our great leaders were, they were recruiting, hiring, and and having to terminate people all the time. It was just a, a lot of a revolving door. Our attrition was around 120%. And what we realized is that, hey, look, we've got these aspirations to grow to a billion back then and, and, and pass that. And that meant twice the amount of team members. And we said, man, if we can't do this at four to 5,000 team members, and that's the equivalent back then of having to hire six, 7,000 people a year only to watch them walk out the door at the end of the year and do it all over again because they were leaving. So we started asking the question, why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? Why are yeah. people why are people leaving? And like a lot of leaders, it's like, hey, look, I started this business. I'm running it. We got I, we got us here. We'll get us to the next spot. Um, and we rely too much on our own ego and pride and control sometimes. A lot of leaders do. And we took a couple steps back and did what you just said. We asked the question, why are people leaving? And we got some pretty humbling answers. And the answers were, hey, look, these leaders are they're really, really hard on us. They're they're not fair. They're playing favorites. They're they aren't doing their job. Um, they're not kind. They're not compassionate. There's no values. When at all costs. And we started really asking ourselves a lot of questions from some of those surveys we took back in 2013 and said, let's take this feedback to heart and figure out what makes sense to change and what we need to do. And we got a lot of other feedback too, like, hey, we've grown 10x over the last 10 years, but guess what, guys? We're still in the same break room you built for us 10 years ago. It hasn't gotten any bigger. It's not grown to the size of our company. They're not clean. The bathrooms are broken. We just weren't treating their home like they're home away from home. And they're spending 40, 50 hours a week, in some cases 60 sometimes, when we're really, really busy and growing. And we just were, we were not showing them the respect as a human being that we should have or could have. So we took all that feedback and we said, hey, look, leadership was loud and clear, number one, let's fix leadership. We determined what our company values were going to be, and we let 30 people decide that. It wasn't just you know me or a couple other people saying, hey, look, these are going to be our values, and let's blast them out. We gave a lot of people input. We gave everybody a vote, and we landed on five values that we hold true to. And if you don't live to those five values, you cannot be here. What are those values, Jason? Yeah, so passionate about winning is a big one. We want to win, but it's not at all costed anymore. Positive attitude is our second one. I don't think you can exist here very long if you don't have a positive attitude. And positive attitudes and negative attitudes show real easy. It's not hard to know where people live. Caring about others, that comes back to that compassion part. And hey, look, we've got to have compassion for our people and be kind. We've got to be challenging and we got to be, we can be tough, but we've got to be kind and respectful and thoughtful. And then honesty, integrity, and candor. And team play with trust. Those are our five values. And then we, we went a step further a few years later. And we said, hey, look, we're holding everybody these, these same five values, but we expect more out of our leaders. And it was somebody's idea saying, hey, look, how about we come up with some leadership values? If you're going to lead here at Lippert and have a leader leader in your title, what are we going to say about that? And we 
came up with five leadership values. And we gave like 60 people input on those values. And ultimately, we are very consistent about how we hold people accountable to those values. Do we mess up once in a while and maybe let a leader or a team member get away too long because we get busy and we look the other way or we're not holding people accountable like we should? But when you do that 95% of the time and you hold people consistent and accountable, people realize real quick, man, I'm not going to exist here very long if I don't live up to this stuff. So I either got to figure it out and get on board or just go find somewhere else because it's going to be painful to live in a spot where you're going to be held accountable. Um, And these are all good values. So the trick has been really getting our leaders to to step up and live differently because most leaders get promoted because they're on time every day on the job. They're generally good people. They might know a lot. That's a big reason people get promoted is, man, they know everything about the area or the process and nobody can get anything by them. They just know the product or they've been around for 15 years. And those, unfortunately, those things don't qualify leadership. That's right. So that's been a big change over the last five years. And we said, hey, look, while we Most of the men and women that come to this business, they've got a high school education in terms of being a frontline team member or a frontline leader in our business. And I went to college. I never got a leadership class. So people aren't learning what leadership means. So we teach them our leadership values. We teach them our core values. We've got 20 people in the business that coach and train. So people ask all the time, well, you do culture so well, at least it looks like it on social media, but how do you do it? And I turn the question back around to them. And I say, well, what kind of resources do you have in culture dedicated to culture and leadership? And it's usually like, no, I mean, yeah, we got H- we got all sorts of HR people and our executives are trained and we go to these exec classes and get leadership seminars. I'm like, those aren't real resources. What resources do you have available to your people to teach them how to be better leaders and teach them what you want your culture to be day in and day out? We do that through about 30 people in culture and leadership here. I mean, they are dedicated to culture and leadership. They don't answer to the management at the the facilities. They're there to coach men and women, to teach them how to be better leaders, how to be better people. And we do all sorts of other great stuff. But So these are internal employees. Yeah, they're internal team members that... And this is their full-time role. That's their full-time role. So listeners, when Jason's talking about putting resources behind this, you know, again, I hear the same thing out there. People will say, oh, we've got HR, we've got talent development. Well, you know, how many people are you putting into that? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, one per 5,000. Yeah. And, you know, real quickly, you're hearing, you know, Jason's, they've got about a one to two to 1,000 ratio of people full-time dedicated just to this, that's a significantly higher spend and budget. It just shows what the company actually values and cares about, but it certainly hasn't hurt your results. That's right. And I tell you all day long that our results are better than they ever have been because, I mean, look, there's all these great things. When your culture becomes good and it becomes reliable and people start talking about it, it's like, it's a recruiting tool. I mean, we... In this period where there's 1.6% you know, unemployment in our main area here where we've got 7,000 of our team members, we don't have a big problem getting people um, because yeah. they've heard about us. They're just waiting for a chance to get in. And there's literally when 88% of the people in this country feel like they work for a company that doesn't care about them, that's 88% of the people that are employed out there that are just waiting for a chance to go to someplace that will care about them. And we're, we're recognized in the area as one of those few places. So it's a great recruiting tool. And 
ultimately people live their 40 or 50 hours a week at work, not feeling controlled and unhappy or unmotivated. I mean, our goal truly, the end goal with all of our team members is help them find their purpose in life. We can help them find more purpose and meaning while they're at work away from home where they have typically less control over their life and they can find that purpose and meaning at work. It's so fulfilling for people. And I've got a box of letters behind me and that's, you know, that's what I keep as a reminder where team members have written me saying, hey, look, this place has changed my life or so-and-so that is my leader. He transformed or she transformed my life because I'm working on my goals and my dreams right alongside helping impact and transform the lives of the people that I'm around at work every day. You know, Jason, on a prior episode of the show, we actually talked with a gentleman named Dave Quick. And what he talked about is having culture and values that are so strong that they either compel the right people or they repel the wrong people. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's really what you've yeah. been about. And and you guys actually measure culture and you measure, you know, how your people are actually doing. Tell us a little bit about that and what the results have been. Yeah, well, first off, I'd say when you say repel the wrong people, I believe God created everybody to be productive and have purpose and meaning. It's just, and I don't believe there's any wrong people. That's why we have coaches. It's like some people just don't know any better. They've gotten this habit for 10 or five or 10 or 15 years of just doing the wrong things at work because they had a bad leader. And I don't fault people for that. They just get into a bad, we all get bad habits. But when you don't know any different or you've seen the same thing for 15 years and you just get used to it, you're going to need a little bit, somebody's going to need to help you turn your feet in a different direction and watch you go a little ways and say, okay, you've got to keep going that way. So we look at it as, yeah, we really attract and keep the right people, but it also creates an ability for us to work with people that, that don't get it and they stick out like a sore thumb. So we know who to work on. We start working with them and start you know, doing some coaching because ultimately if we can coach that person up. It gives everybody on the team more hope and more satisfaction versus uh, constantly just trying to say, ah, oh, that person's not right. You throw them out and bring somebody else in and say, ah, oh, that person's not right. That's where the coaching and leadership is so important. But we, yeah, we have a lot of metrics in our culture and leadership world. I mean, we, we look at our philanthropy piece where we just finished another year of 100,000 hours of community service. And that's a goal we set as part of our culture every year. We're going to, you know, being a servant leader is one of our leadership values that I was alluding to earlier. So you got to serve if you're going to be a team member here. And we set up four serving events at each and every facility across the, the globe every single year. And we have champions at those facilities. And their goal is to get as many people to four serving events as they can a year from inside the company. They can bring their families. And we, we generate over 100,000 hours of service every single year to the communities that we we live and work in. Other metrics would be coaching sessions and coaching hours. So hours of leadership coaching that we give specifically to our frontline team members, because I don't believe in spending all that at the executive level and top management level coaching. I mean, they need it and they get it, but um, our 95% of our team members in manufacturing are on the front lines of our business in the factories, dealing with some pretty tough issues. And They need tools and resources to be able to lead better there and understand what the expectation is. So that's where most of our coaching hours go. We have personal development coaching where, hey, look, we've realized over our journey of 10 years that some people just aren't good leaders because their personal lives are messed up. And all they can think about is all the crisis they've got 
going on at home. And it doesn't make you a very effective leader when you're focused on that kind of stuff. So we pull people away and we say, hey, look, let's talk about some of the stuff and let's see if we can help you get it straightened out or how to think about it so that you can be impactful while you're here for 40 or 50 hours a week with your team members, uh, whether you're a leader or not. So coaching hours is a big one. Dream sessions is another one. We do a dream achiever program that our people opt into where we basically just say, look, we've got 60-year-olds and 50-year-olds in the business that have never written down their dreams on a sheet of paper. Most people stop dreaming after their teenage years because you just get into the, you get into life and things start happening and that's a million miles an hour and you get a family and you you stop dreaming. So we've done over 2,000 of those sessions in the last few years where we sit down with people of all ages that opt into the program and we help them extract their dreams, write them down on paper, develop an action plan, and then help hold them accountable and you know, then we count dreams achieved too. So that's incredible. Some of those dreams are just, I want my, I want a better marriage. I want a better relationship with my, my kids or my family. I want to stop smoking. I want weight loss. I want, I want to buy my first house, financial improvement. I mean, there's all sorts of things we help people with, but unless you have resources dedicated to that, you can't really do that for your people. And one of the things I found, or we found as a company is that our attrition rate is the lowest in that group of people that opt in for the Dream Achiever program, because most of those people walk away and they say, I've worked for a dozen companies, I've worked for four companies, and nobody's even ever asked me what my dreams are, let alone pulled me aside and invested time and energy to, to write it down on a piece of paper with an action plan that I can talk to my family about, and someone's going to hold me accountable. So it's those types of things where you really want to you know, attract talent over the long term, do things for them that no other company's doing. And those are the kinds of things we're trying to innovate around and, and be creative about to focus on helping our have real impact on our, our team members around the, the company. Absolutely. Well, Jason, we're moving into my favorite segment of the show where I get to ask you two questions. The first is the question everybody wants to know. And what we really mean is it's the question I want to know. <laughs> and then the second question is the question that actually uh, everybody wants to know. So my personal question today, Jason, and you've given me permission to ask about this, but you shared with me that you know one of the things that drives you in business is your personal faith. And I'd love to have you just tell our listeners how that is important to you and how that shows up in the business and how you've really incredibly done it in a way where you don't have to check your faith at the door when you come to the company, but you've also created an incredibly inclusive business where that faith is not expected amongst any of your other team members. Yeah, right. So I learned a long time ago not to apologize for my faith or how I live. But what I did realize a decade or so ago was win at all costs and try to win at all costs in the business and then and then say, look, I'm a Christ follower and I read the Bible and try to do what it says. It's just that they don't go hand in hand. So it's how do you live out, you know, biblical truths and it's really, to me, it's all come down to learn from the Bible, figure out how to live with wisdom, and just make sure that as you're you're living that out in the business, that it's you're not trying to change who you are or do something different because it's the work world. And I think that's what's wrong with business today is that we largely come in and try to control people to get certain results. And that certainly isn't the way God set us out to live. So just taking the the opposite of that and giving people the freedom to innovate and 
and be creative and trust them with decision making. You got to find the right people and make sure that you've got the values in place, but your values ought to be worthwhile too. So that's just my two cents. And I don't push faith on anybody. If somebody wants to grab my ear and talk, I'm happy to talk about it. We've got some devotional uh, stuff that goes out every morning in the company and you can opt into that. So it's not, hey, look, it goes to everybody. It's like, hey, if you want to opt in for some biblical wisdom every morning, you can. We got a chaplain that basically anybody that has faith questions or spiritual questions, we've, we've got that person on staff. Again, another resource for your people. If you're you want to prove that you've got focus on culture, you got to have resources for it. And then the chaplaincy program was just another step for us. But yeah, you probably have some other questions that are more specific. But that's just kind of a overview. I think that's super helpful. You know, one of the things that's been important to me in business is I want to be able to be the same guy in my house, at work, at church, at a golf course. And, you know, some people love me, some people hate me, but I'm the same guy no matter where I'm at. And that's just always been important to me that I get to show up and be myself no matter where I'm at. And I want that for all my people as well. And I don't want to expect them to show up and be how they think I want them to look. I just want them to show up and be themselves. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that's that you've been able to create that inside of Lipper. And I love the example. I mean, this devotional that you guys put out, I love how you said it's opt-in. Yeah. So you don't force it on anyone. People can opt into it. And you've even allowed people outside of the company to opt into it. That's right. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, Jesus served people and did a lot of great things to impact and transform lives. And that's really, you know, the basis of our core values in our company mission is to impact and transform lives. We say all, all the time, hey, we, want, we want to show people that business can be a force for good <laughs> if you use business the right way. And really, it's about using leadership the right way. And one of my favorite books is Lead Like Jesus. I mean, he's one of the greatest leaders of all time in terms of how we demonstrated and acted out how to be a great leader. And that's really all we're trying to do is just imitate some of the great leadership principles he taught us. You mentioned a YouTube that was actually pretty transformational for you on leadership mm-hmm. in the business. What was that YouTube? It was Bob Chapman, who was the CEO of Barry Waymiller. And it was just a, a talk on leadership uh, called uh, Truly Human Leadership. That coupled with a lot of prayer, it changed the way I looked at what we needed to do and how, what, how God was speaking to me to say, hey, look, there's a right way to lead a company and a wrong way to lead a company. And if you want to impact and transform lives, then look at the start with the, at the time, 4,000 human beings that all have families and all have real lives. Start with how you're impacting those. And then let's see how, and that's transformed into, hey, business can be a true force for good. Because now we have a leadership academy that we established three years ago. It's got 60 clients and... This is a perfect segue, actually, Jason. The question I wanted to ask that I think everybody wants to know is, are you doing anything at Lippert in terms of culture and taking care of people that other business leaders could tap into? We started a leadership academy three years ago because we had so many businesses near and far that were taking notice of what we were doing and saying, hey, look, it seems like there's something special with your culture and your leadership model. Can you just tell us about it? Teach us about it. We got so many of those requests. We finally started an academy. Again, put a resource there, put somebody in charge of the academy. And then we established a playbook. Like, hey, what things have made us successful? 
well, just let's talk about our culture journey over the last 10 years. We wrote it all down. It's in a book. We work with clients of the academy that we give them that book. We'll coach them through. Generally, the companies we talk to are someplace in that in that journey. If they're really trying, that just a lot of people get stuck and they're, they'll eventually maybe find their way out, but we can help them get down the journey, down the road faster, maybe avoid some of the pitfalls that we avoided. Uh, hey, here's where to put resources. So Leadership Academy is working with 60 clients right now, and the client or the money part isn't important. It's the fact that we're helping other businesses change their cultures and their leadership models to have true impact on the human beings that live and breathe in those organizations day in and day out. And my hope is ultimately the next step is some of these, just like Bob Chapman, when I first called him up and said, hey, tell me how you did it, how you changed your culture. And by the time I talked to him in 2014, he told me about the Leadership Academy he had. Well, he not only empowered us to change our culture, we have a Leadership Academy where we're impacting people. My hope is that some of those companies that we coach up and help over the coming years, they have their own Leadership Academies and they're helping other businesses. And it just could be a total cultural revolution that upends the way. I mean, you hear about the great resignation and people quitting their jobs because they know there's better opportunities out there and a better way to live your life at work out there. Well, this is what it is. And yeah. just hope to be a small part of that ripple that's going to continue on for a long time. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with Lippert uh, regarding your Leadership Academy, what's the best way for them to reach out? Well, you can do two things. The easiest way to do it is hit Amber Salking or I on LinkedIn. Go to the Leadership Academy website and, and get connected that way. But we want to help businesses take steps. There's a lot of free advice in there. But if you want to get serious, we need to commit to those companies some real time because culture is a serious thing. And there's a lot of things to do and a lot of things to learn. And we can help companies take steps. We will do our best to actually post a link inside of the show notes where you can just go click the link and go right to Lippert's Leadership Academy online. It's lci1.com slash leadership dash development. But again, we'll try to put a link in our show notes for you. And certainly we'll at least post that link on LinkedIn when the show comes out. We'll put it on Twitter. So you'll have it there available I think it's just an incredible step you can take if you're at that point saying, I really do want to invest in my people. I really do want to move this company forward by taking better care of our people, not just treating them as KPI creators, but ultimately as humans that you actually are passionate and care about. And I truly believe that is the best way to build culture. So Jason, we are so, so thankful to have you today. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to come share with our listeners. I know they're greatly appreciative. And again, everybody uh, go hit Jason up on LinkedIn. And if you haven't done it yet, hit me up as well. I'd love to have you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Tommy. I, I'm just thankful there's people like you that are getting the message out there because you can reach a lot of people this message. And if five people decide, to, five companies decide to take a step or put a resource, you know, toward culture and leadership, that's going to help impact people's lives. So thanks. Well, let's make business a force for good. That's right. I love that. That's going to be, uh, I'm going to write that on my board here for 2022 awesome. and look at it every day. So thanks again, Jason. Really appreciate you. See you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. 
You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc. Mammoth.